Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Sick Kids in Love by Hannah Moskowitz. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. Isabel is sick. Not make-a-wish sick, though. Isabel has rheumatoid arthritis, the kind of sick that hurts her every single day and requires constant treatments, but isn't going to kill her. Her friends and family, although they care about her, sometimes forget that she's sick at all. After all, Isabel is dealing with it so well and works hard to never be an imposition on their lives. Sasha's world is different. He's sick too, with Gaucher disease, but he and his family are open and unapologetic about his life and his struggles. When the two meet during a transfusion, it's charming, it's sweet, and it completely upends Isabel's life. Oh, and no spoilers, nobody dies in this one. That's the tagline to the book. It's right on the cover that they don't die in this one. And... I have things I want to say about that. But first. But first. Let's talk about Hannah. We do love Hannah. Yeah. Okay. So full disclosure. I'm friends with Hannah. Have been for a long time. Uh, She's been on the podcast, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. She was in our year-end roundup, and she told us secrets about the publishing industry. The hot goss, as it were. (laughs) The hot goss. (laughs) We did her book, Salt, on the podcast, and we you know, have been fans of her forever. Like she published her first book at 17. So like major props to her. One of Hannah's books, History of Glitter and Blood, was the very first arc I ever received. I know. Yeah. We loved her book, Invincible Summer. And I was thinking about this. And when last we saw Hannah, which was in Baltimore last October, she said, I have a book coming out, Sick Kids in Love. And we talked about, like, sick kid lit with Hannah. You know, like, this is an own voices novel. That's not a spoiler either. That says it right on the cover. I'm not, like, outing anybody without their permission. Um, but Hannah basically, like, wrote this in response to some other popular novels where it's pretty obvious pretty quickly that the book is not for sick kids or worse isn't obvious until the very end yeah and then you're devastated not to name any specific no names let's here, name but... some specific names like the fault in our stars was a worldwide phenomenon but like how could you say that that was written for sick kids i mean not like how could you say amanda that it was written for sick kids because i don't think you would ever say that but like it was voyeuristic in the way that we looked in on this trauma and then everything, 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 everything is the one that makes me ragey, but we can't talk about why it makes me ragey without spoiling it. I mean, these are spoilers and well, that's yeah. the thing. But like, anyway, you come down to books that are about sick kids, but not for sick kids and books that are for sick kids and about sick kids. And then you have like the trifecta, you know, which Hannah has said by, for and about. And that is like the magic of own voices and then while we're here because i know like we reprised our sick kids conversation um in our episode on the stars and the blackness between them and i just wanted to like underscore that we did a podcast episode on another book lovely dark and deep by justina chen 
recommended for all. Yes. Which is for sick kids. All right. That was whew, a lot. I just That was a lot. Needed to get it all out there. <laughs> but we're not talking about those books. We're talking about this great book, which I'm going to guess that I kind of know what you're going to say. But Danny, did you like this book? Yes, Amanda, I did. <laughs> I feel like I just went on for like 10 minutes. I mean, I can see the timer. It hasn't been 10 minutes, but like, yeah. I enjoyed this book. It was very squishy, but I did have this feeling, which is the whole thing, right? That this book wasn't written for me. And that was really incredible. Like, I wasn't in on all the jokes, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I thought that it was such a nice, sweet love story that had, like, very little conflict. Like, I was thinking about what's in the spoiler section, what's in the non-spoiler section. Like, well, like... <laughs> and that's okay. And it was great. So they, they fall in love. I don't know if you could pick up on that with some skilled detective work. It's right in the title. It's right in the name. <laughs> Sick Kids in Love. The publisher also sent us, like... This was so cute and saccharine, and that's okay. They sent us, like, a marketing box of um, sweethearts. That's what they're called, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The... Candy hearts with, like, Issa and Sasha and, like, you know, different things on them. It was very cute. Totally inedible candy, but <laughs> they're very cute. <laughs> so, as we mentioned, there's not a lot, a lot of conflict in here. There is some that we'll talk some about, but overall, like, this is just a really wonderful, sweet story of these two characters who meet and flirt and fall in love, and then they have some mild problems, and then they get back together. You know, it hits all the right beats, but the way that it does it is such a good trip. I really liked how both of these characters developed as we got to know them. I liked everything about Isabel's character. She felt very realized, like, fully formed. One of the things that she does is she has this sort of reverse advice column that she writes for the newspaper, but she doesn't do so much writing about it as asking people questions on random things like, what's your favorite subway line? Or what's your idea of a good time? And then she'll just type up these answers. And I think that, that is such a good piece of Isabel's character, who is this person who wants to be no trouble on anyone else's life. That was so deep. Um, I think that this reverse column, like you said, does lend a lot of insight into Isabel. Because one of the answers that she always writes up, she doesn't ever publish this in her school paper, but she always writes up an answer for this character named Claire, who is a dead girl. And it emerges over the course of the story that Isa has this like, extended backstory for Claire and I just think that you know if you wanted to dig deep on some psychoanalysis of Isabel like the presence of Claire is the place to do it yeah I also think that like teenagers just do weird stuff and like that's a weird thing that's a very teenager thing to do just like invent this dead character who you know has the loving mom by her side as she dies peacefully like that's a very teenager thing to do Yes. And one other thing I wanted to point out is that Hannah has an incredible narrative voice. Um, her writing is very funny. It sounds like things kids would say. She has great dialogue. Yeah. And the other thing that's important about these characters in this story is that they are both Jewish and Hannah is Jewish. And it's just really nicely done. 
Another thing that really shapes Isabel's character is her relationship with her father, which is complicated because it's not bad. He's not a bad father. It's just a little sterile. Would you agree that that's a good word for it? Yeah, he's the head surgeon or chief something at the chief hospital. Chief of medicine, I think. I, he's a big wake at the hospital. Um, and so, you know, ostensibly they spend a lot of time together, but the time that they spend together is like her eating dinner in his office because he's too busy to come home at a reasonable hour. Their apartment doesn't really have anything in it, and her mother is gone. Which we don't know a lot about to start with. Also, one thing that that really should have impacted more than it did was how in the beginning of Isabel's life, she was trying so hard to find out what was wrong with her. And she got blown off by all of these doctors and told like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, all of your tests look fine. You shouldn't be sick. Like, whatever. Nothing's really going on. Like, you're saying that her father should have been more supportive of her? Yeah, absolutely. Did you not get that vibe? Like, whoa. I wasn't arguing with you. But why not? We should argue. No. (laughs) I was just asking a clarifying question. Yeah, absolutely. Her father should have been more supportive of her. I agree. But I I think it emerges pretty quickly that like he doesn't want a sick kid. Kind of like how you're in denial about having allergies. I don't have allergies. I have a prolonged cold symptom that is unrelated to pollen. Mm. And I don't need... Your sass. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of Sick Kids in Love and dig a little deeper. Hey, friends. As we shared in the last episode, we will be taking a break from producing new episodes in January. We don't have the resources to continue right now. If you'd like to see us back in your feed, please consider supporting this podcast through our Patreon link in show notes or by ordering our book choices through our affiliate links. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? I am so excited to tell you. I think I know. (laughs) It's like we're married or something. Okay, so I cannot even remember what episode we mentioned it in, but we had Amanda K. Morgan on the podcast. It seems like forever ago. It was at least a year ago. And we announced that we had embarked on a new series of digital adventure games for reluctant readers. Well, as of this week... Like a year and a half later, we have finished Burnbridge Breakout. Woo! I know. So these are basically like escape rooms mixed with like a reading adventure and kind of aspects of a point and click RPG in there. It's a whole thing. Definitely check it out. And you can play the first game for free. That's my favorite price. (laughs) How about you, Amanda? What's your brew of choice? Well, congratulations on finishing Burnbridge to you and uh, Mandy Morgan, who is probably listening, like decent odds. I'm just really proud of both of you guys, and you did great stuff, and I'm really happy that that's in the universe. And over. And over. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's taken up a lot of our lives. (laughs) 
however, that's not what I like a latte this week. I like something else. What? She's um, holding it. Like, I'm everybody holding needs it. to know that she's literally holding it. She's I, your I audience avatar right now. That's right. Okay. What? What do you like a latte? This book is a graphic novel by uh, economist Brian Kaplan and that is drawn by Zach Wienersmith, who is the artist who does the Saturday morning breakfast cereal cartoons. And it is called Open Borders, The Science and Ethics of Immigration. And it is so great. It is such a good, accessible exploration of what open borders would actually look like economically and what it would look like for us as a world and a culture. And I just totally loved it. I thought that all the drawings and graphs made it like very easy to follow along, even though I don't have a lot of economics background. Me too. Like I kind of wished for more books in my life that were like graphic novel economic books. Yeah. Like please teach me economics through graphic novels and, and history American history through, through Broadway musicals. musicals. Yeah. Like this I was gonna <laughs> say that. This is like the Hamilton of economics. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's really good. Um I think that my one tiny quibble with it, which I would love to talk to y'all about if anybody else has read it, um, is a lot of times the emphasis on economic growth as like a fundamental good factor, especially in this uh, in this warming world that we live in. Um, so I think that like that would be an interesting thing to break apart and deconstruct. But it does poke holes in a lot of like fear mongering anti-immigration policies, uh, which I am always here for. So I think that it's a really fantastic book. Definitely recommend. Uh, I think that it's perfect for a classroom. It's called Open Borders, The Science and Ethics of Immigration by Brian Kaplan and Zach Wienersmith. Also, I just want to make another plug for this book here because it has an excellent kind of point-counterpoint structure of argumentation where he like brings in the counterpoints and then refutes them. Love it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on Sick Kids in Love. The rest of the show will contain spoilers. I mean, like... Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on Sick Kids in Love by Hannah Moskowitz. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like we talked about, it's a squishy book. Um, they have some conflict, which arises because they're different people, and how will they ever learn to, to compromise for each other? But they did so very sweetly. Also, kind of like the central conflict to the book is that Isa thinks... Like, I don't know, y'all. I'm just going to tell you from my perspective what she thinks. She thinks that this disease is going to impact the longevity and quality of her life very quickly and that she is not going to, like, have a great life beyond, like, 30 or 40 years old. This is her fear. I did not get that. What I got from it was that she was not so much worried about the disease but just worried that like she'd turn out to be kind of a lousy person because everybody else in her family has been such terrible people. Right. I read that the reason she was so resistant to dating cuz sick girl doesn't date is because like she feared becoming like this bitter old person who was terrible to the people around them. Hmm. 
I mean, I, I think that that is definitely true. That was a concern of hers. But at certain point, she talked about like having visions of the future where like Sasha and their teenage daughter are eating dinner alone. And I guess like now that I think about it, I was interpreting that as and she was dead. But in reality, it might have been what you said, like she felt that she would have left like her mom left, which we can circle back to in a minute because she thought she would become this terrible person. So that's fair. Yeah, because I don't think she ever thought that this disease was going to kill her and had no reason to because it's not a terminal disease. And like she talks about in the book, Isabel mentions like the long daily slog of a chronic illness. Like this is not something that's going to kill her. This is just something that's going to kind of suck for a long time. Mm -hmm. So her mother is gone. And for a while, like I thought that she was dead. But, you know, I guess that was just my dead mom bias coming through. You got to watch your dead mom bias. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just to jump straight to the spoilers in reality. Oh, yeah. This is a real spoiler. This is a real spoiler. Her mom is alive. Her mom has been out of her life. And over the course of the novel, Isa realizes that whereas originally she had really blamed her mom for leaving, she realizes that her dad was a jerk and her parents had a terrible relationship. And there's this like beautiful moment where... She's just had a disagreement with Sasha and she's like sitting in her house and looking at all the places in her house and sort of like reliving scenes where her parents had been fighting in front of her in all these different places in the house. And she like has this like epiphany that her mom left out of self-preservation and not that her dad was like abusive, but like preservation of her freedom and autonomy and the ability to pursue happiness outside of this toxic relationship. So that was cool. And then, yeah, but she still left. Like, I mean, that's that's true. But like, so in Veronica Mars, there is a thing. And I cannot remember the whole context of the conversation where her father's like, I kind of suck. And Veronica's like, it doesn't matter how much you suck. You're still the one who stayed. I agree. And especially because this is the thing that I just, uh, it just frustrated me so much. She changed her number. And changed her name and didn't give Isa that information. Like, I don't get it. I don't get people who abandon their children. Yeah. But I think that, so like I mentioned, like her relationship with her father is super complicated. And I think that this just builds more on this complicated relationship that Isabel in a lot of ways has accepted for a really long time. And she has kept like, my dad is a good person. He does the doctor thing. I am a good daughter. I go spend time with my father. But they don't talk about her sickness at all because she's not who he hoped that she would be. And they don't talk about her mom at all. And so I think that like this does a really good job of not like painting her mother as a sympathetic person, especially when. Oh, yeah. This is why I said and then earlier. And then I didn't bite. Yeah. But it's okay. When what, Amanda? And then uh, it winds up that Sasha's dad has been dating Isabel's mother. Dun, dun, dun. Meh. I mean, it's fine. It's like the most dramatic thing that happens in this book. In it is. In it terms is dramatic. Like, but like, to be fair, in the book, it really comes across immediately that it's not dramatic that it's weird because her mom is dating Sasha's dad, but weird because she hasn't seen her mom in years and then all of a sudden... She, she finds appears, her making yeah. out on the corner. Yeah. Can we talk a little more about Sasha? We haven't talked about him much. 
I think that he's a really great love interest. Like he's sweet and goofy and he's a fast talking brunette. He's, he's a fast talking brunette. He would not be out of place on Gilmore Girls. I really enjoyed him. He has such a big heart. I liked him a lot as a love interest. Like I don't really have any like big things to say about him other than just I really enjoyed him and he was very sweet and like willing to change and willing to get Isabel to change and grow and be better people to each other and it was great. He was very excited to spend time with her and be in a relationship with her and like share this part of their lives together. And I really love that. One line that I really liked, I'm not like a physically ill person, but they had this line where they like went out and had this like beautiful, sweet date, like staring at the Brooklyn Bridge or whatever. And Sasha says something like, don't you look forward to when we don't have to pretend that we're interesting people anymore and can just like sit at home and watch Netflix? And I was like, Yes, (laughs) that is the dream. (laughs) So, Issa has several friends, several great friends, and one terrible friend in this group of healthy, she calls them healthy friends, and they're these girls at her school, and like Amanda said in the synopsis, oftentimes they forget completely that she's sick because she doesn't try to explain her pain to them because she doesn't want to be an imposition or because she's learned over time that they won't listen. And I really love when she ditches Ashley, her super toxic friend. Like, you don't need toxic friends. You don't need them. I liked that too. Yeah, I wanted to share that because I know I I said the joking thing about like her mom being the most dramatic thing in this book, but I, I think that like her friendship's were like a point of real drama that a lot of people can relate to. And it was really obvious that her healthy friends did not appreciate her or make enough effort to like understand what she was going through. It felt very similar to the friendship end in The Hate You Give when it was just like she's been saying lousy things for a long time and then you just reach a tipping point and then you're done. And I think it's good for kids to see You can be done when people just say terrible things to you all the time and then give bad not apologies. Right. Precisely that. And similar to the hate you give, Ashley really like acted like she was doing Issa a favor by being friends with her. You don't need that. You do not. In case you can't tell, we liked this a lot. (laughs) A latte. A latte. Yeah, strong recommend. It should be in your classroom library. It's such a good book. Please read it. Give it to people. It is a perfect, like, snuggled up by the fireplace near, like, the winter with your, like, the snows coming down and your hot cocoa and your sick kids in love. Like, that is the day. Very squishy book. Very squishy. That's our show for today, friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to support this show by visiting our Patreon, leaving us a review, or telling a bookish friend about our work. Happy reading!